here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to the Dharmic Evolution. We have a soldier, a brave soldier, a Marine, on the show today. I'm so happy about this. This man overcame all kinds of obstacles, drug addiction, PTSD from fighting the war in Iraq with the Marines, where one of his jobs was to walk in front of their vehicles to find explosives, depression, alcoholism that pushed him into the brink of suicide. This man has since built a global business, run ultra marathons, and explored the most hostile environments on the planet. From mountains to caves to polar ice caps and everything in between. Ladies and gentlemen, you better strap up your seatbelts because we're taking a ride today on the Dharmic Evolution with Akshay Nanavati. Akshay, it is a pleasure to have you on the Dharmic Evolution. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and before we even dig in, I got to thank you for the service you've done to this country. Um, being a Marine and the things that you faced in Iraq um, and probably other places that we don't even know about, but um, it's just it's just incredible of the bravery of men like you who have put yourselves in harm's way for people. Um, who just don't even really realize. So I just want to acknowledge on behalf of all those people who don't get a chance to thank you. Thank you, my friend, for all that you've done for us. Thank you. I appreciate that acknowledgement. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, you you know, I was checking out like all of the things you've done and like what's on your website and how you went from the complete abyss to what looks to me like living like a fantastic life now, full of energy, full of um, just full of bliss, you know, and sharing that with other people. So can you tell us, like, first of all, when you went into the service, um, what was like the state of of events that were surrounding your life at that time? Mm -hmm. Was it is it was it fear was a complete apprehension? Like, where were you in your life when you started? When I decided to join the service, I had just gotten out of uh, a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol. I was doing drugs pretty heavily. I'd moved to the U.S. when I was 13 years old. And about two, when I was 15, 16 years old, I got very heavily into drugs for a year and a half. Uh, lost two friends to drug addiction. I used to cut my own arm, burn myself. I mean, I was in this pretty dark way. And sometimes I wonder how I made it out because I did a lot of things that were very, very dangerous and very stupid. Um but thankfully, I did get out. And when I did, and when I was ready to join the service, I mean, that was my path. Nothing was going to stop me. I was so focused and so committed to it because actually two doctors told me that boot camp would kill me because of a blood disorder I have and I, I was born with. So that didn't matter. Nothing was going to stop me at the time. I knew that's who I wanted to be. So I was fighting my way to go in the Marine Corps. It took me about a year and a half to enlist because I had to get medical waivers for my blood disorder, for my flat feet. I have scoliosis. I got all kinds of biological defects, if you will, <laughs> to get. So I had to get medical waivers and fight my way in. But I, w- I could not have been more focused at the time. Where did you grow up? Where, where were you born? I was born in India. Oh, you I grew were? up okay. uh, first eight years in India, then five years in Singapore, and then moved to Austin, Texas when I was 13. Wow. You, you were a man of the world as, as a teenager, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. How did that, um, 
have an impact on you? Was it a positive thing? Your medical thing aside for a minute, just mm -hmm. just the growing up and moving mm -hmm. like so quickly in your youth. Um, how did that feel to you and how did it help to shape who you are today? Uh, great question. It so it was, you know, I never I never saw it entirely as a negative. Uh, I, I embraced it every move. I uh, found, made friends fairly quickly and adjusted. And I struggled with it within anything, like anything, any change. Initially, it was always hard. I remember when I moved from Bangalore to Singapore, I did not want to move. I had my friends settle. But then I made, got friends in Singapore. And then from Singapore to the U.S., I did not want to move. And my friends in Singapore told me going to Texas, you know, the repu like the idea of Texas, Austin, which I'm sure, you know, is very different than the rest of Texas. But yeah. nonetheless, I didn't know anything. I was, a, a, you know, a kid. And people were like, they're going to hate you there because you're brown. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen, you know? So while I kind of embraced it and made friends when I moved, I did struggle with it in the sense that I wasn't very clear on who I was. So every move I was trying to fit in, I was trying to, uh, do whatever it takes to 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 blend in into that environment, and as a result, I didn't really have a. Not to say that a lot of kids, you know, at that age, have a strong sense of self identity. Maybe some do. I know a lot of people who figured their life out a lot earlier than I did, but I was very lost, which is partly why I attribute to getting into drugs, getting into alcohol, and finding that like that was my path to, to push myself. I've always been this kind of person and my life today reflects that. If I get into something, I'll get into it at the highest level and push the limits of that. Drugs just happen to be the avenue. You know, I don't blame my environment or great friends. I take responsibility for it within myself. But as a 13 year old kid, you're very at the effect of your environment. And I, so had I sort of got into, let's say a group of friends who are mountain climbers or runners, I might've gotten into that kind of thing much earlier than uh than i did now and maybe not got into drugs instead you know so i was very lost but part of the journey yeah so so you must have like what was your what was your thought process about texas like now you're in singapore and like yeah. you know that was a change going from india to singapore and now yeah. it's like well i'm going to texas with armadillos and people yeah. who were like you know wearing hats and things like it must have been kind of freaky for you but like when you got there did this feel like an opportunity for you uh, after you like settled in for a while? Um, you know, the drugs aside and all that, yeah. did you see, start to see like some path for you? Yeah. Once, I mean, once we moved, you know, soon after, again, there was the initial nerves, goofy kid coming to, uh, <laughs> coming to school. When I moved to Austin, I had a British accent because I went to a British school in Singapore. So I remember oh, I used wow. to say things like lift instead of elevator or canteen instead of cafeteria, right. which I kind of got made fun of initially. This year's this goofy, tiny little British kid, you know, uh, coming to America. But, you know, I kind of, again, I got, I got friends pretty quick and I didn't get into drugs till two, three years later. So I started to get friends, started to find my way and, uh, and, and just embrace it. Like I, I was definitely not one of those kids with any sense of direction or clarity of new, you know, there's some kids I know I have friends who when they were five or six or seven, they knew what they wanted to do. You know, they, they like, like maybe that's rare. I, I don't entirely know, but I was not one of those. So I just kind of embraced it and started to kind of go along with the flow of what that experience was and molding myself to my environment to adapt and become a part of that and find my tribe, if you will. Yeah, and that's um, the fact that you were able to um, survive, like that 15, 16-year-old thing and getting into drugs, mm. combined with you having, you know, for, for the lack of a better word, a, an addictive personality, whether it's yeah. like, I want to do this to the max. 
I mean, it's, uh, you know, but for God's grace that you're still here, you could have ended up, you know, dead easily with, with you know, the kind of uh, concoction that you had brewing there. So the Marines so. came into the lexicon of your thinking about what time? 17, maybe? 16, 17, 18? Yeah, I remember the very specific incident that was the trigger that changed my life. It was actually watching the movie Black Hawk Down. Have you okay. ever seen it? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing movie, powerful movie. It's a war movie based on a true story. And watching that movie was the trigger that changed my life. After watching the movie, I read the book Black Hawk Down and then started reading book after book after book on military and life and combat. And almost overnight then stopped doing drugs and realized I was living this very selfish, very meaningless existence. And, you know, not to condone war, obviously, but war or watching this experiences of wars and Black Hawk Down and reading about it is this kind of this you experience the, the, the spectrum and the intensity of the human experience at its most extreme, right? You see the most awful things happen in war, the, the atrocities of human evil, but you also see humanity at its finest. People sacrificing their lives for their fellow human being. And you see that in Black Hawk Down, two Delta snipers who gave their life for a fellow soldier and received the Medal of Honor, the highest award for valor in the U.S. military, received the Medal of Honor posthumously for their courage and valor. And just watching that, I mean, the kind of courage it takes to live for someone else to live for something greater than yourself is tremendous. And, uh, I wanted to see what I have that what, and I wanted to put myself in an environment where the good of the group mattered more than my individual well-being. which that's what the Marines is. I mean, they don't care about how happy you are. Right. What matters is your men and your mission. And that's actually, that's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing to experience. Yeah. Where did you get your training? Were you in North Carolina or where did you? I was in uh, uh, San Diego. I was, oh. as they say, quote unquote, Hollywood Marine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably served you well because look at the videos you're doing now, man. It's, it's very cool. I mean, I want, and I want to get to that too. But, uh, but when you first went in, um, what was like, you must have like, you, you traded that old life for this. Mm -hmm. And now you had incredible discipline. You had benchmarks every day. You had to, you know, like really toe the line. And um, what was that doing to you inside? Because it's really rare for somebody to just flip like that and just say, mm -hmm. I'm letting go of all of these addictions. And now I'm totally focused on this. Yeah. I mean, that must have been really kind of amazing. It was, I mean, I loved my experience in the Marines. Boot camp was tough, obviously. And when I first got in, I wasn't very fit. So I did struggle with things like the hikes, you know, uh, even like I remember, for example, when I graduated boot camp, my drill instructor told my parents that he's uh, he's a really, he was, he was a really good recruit and he's a good Marine. He just needs to work on his running. Basically, you know, I wasn't very fit, but I, I was good. I mean, I put, my mind was in it. I, uh, because there were guys in boot camp who struggled and boot camp is all much more mental than physical. So there were guys who broke down crying, but they were far more physically fit than me. Right. And then there were right. guys who were mentally and physically strong, but I was not at the time physically strong, but just going in there. I mean, I loved it. I loved, I mean, yeah, again, obviously I struggled in boot camp, but I loved infantry school. I graduated infantry school as the honor graduate of my platoon because I, I like, I shined at what I was doing, you know, um, I, when I got into my unit, everything about it, I actually was volunteering to go to Iraq every chance I could get once I joined my unit. Because I wanted to, I mean, I enlisted as an infantry Marine. So I wanted to, to go out there. My job was not something, it was, it was infantry. It was, you know, front lines kind of thing. So yeah, it was a beautiful experience that I treasured. I started to find the beauty in suffering and adversity. I started to find the beauty in pushing chat, like exploring my limitations. I had lived a very cushy life. I had great parents. I didn't get into drugs because of abusive parents. My parents had given me the best life I could possibly ask for. 
never felt a bit of struggle. And that's a negative thing. <laughs> right. And so in the Marines is when I started to say, oh, this is beautiful. I need to learn to suffer. And I found the value in that experience. Yeah. So what is the vetting out process for you mentioned that you had volunteered every chance mm -hmm. you, you could to go mm -hmm. to, um, to Iraq. Is there, how, how do they select or do they just, you know, mandate, okay, it's a number system and you're going, yeah. how does that work? Usually you go by unit. So your okay. unit gets selected. So I was weapons company, first battalion, 23rd Marines. That was my unit. And my right. company had actually, by the time I got into weapons company, my, the, the unit had just gotten back from Iraq. So I kind of missed that tour and was now as a result, it was a handful of new Marines, young boots, as we call us. Uh, we were not the salty Marines, right? So we were, uh, they were in the new unit. And so we were, tr I was trying to volunteer to get attached to a different unit that was getting deployed. It's not always easy, which is why, I mean, twice the Marines told me I was going and uh, twice it got canceled last minute because to transfer one individual Marine to a different unit, there's a lot involved in that uh, paperwork wise, wise, I guess. Yeah. And so it wasn't until much later that, that they actually said, okay, not just me, but my unit was getting deployed. We got activated with a, a, a different third battalion, 23rd Marines, and we finally got deployed in 2007. But I had volunteered every every chance I could get. Me and a close friend of mine, uh, we we became kind of very we became very close in 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 the unit. Um, we were kind of the same kind of marine, did everything together, trained together. Um, but one and so volunteered to go together. But one summer while I was vacationing in India, he ended up finally finding a unit to go with, and uh, I wasn't there with him, and he got killed in Iraq. He was hit with an IED. Wow, and, so uh, sorry. Never, never came back. Yeah. Wow. Well, where That's was true. where was he from? What was his name? Jacob Neal, Jacob Corporal Neal. Jacob. Well, he became a corporal in Iraq, Corporal Jacob Neal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, from Texas. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have to say a prayer for him. Thank um, you, brother. Um, I want to ask you about when you got to Iraq, what was the experience like the first week there? How did, how did that roll out for you? Oh, I could not have been happier. I was waiting for my opportunity to go. I mean, I, especially after, so after I lost my friend, I really struggled because so when Neil and me were in the same unit, you know, we, we did everything together. As I said, we became close. We trained together, but I'd always beat him by, let's say like a few seconds on the run or a few points on the rifle range, you know? Right. So when he was out there, he got promoted to corporal. And as a result, he was in a seat that was hit with an IED. Oh, okay. So I had always struggled feeling that, and I get there's many, I get there's nuances to, to war and I, you can't predict all this, but nonetheless, I, I had felt like I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been vacationing in India. I should have been there with him. And I should have gotten that promotion instead of him. Um, so when I finally got my chance to go, I was, I was like, bring it on. You know, if somebody has to go here, let it be me. I kind of went with, I wouldn't say a suicidal mentality, right. but a mentality that I might not come back. And that was fine with me if that's the case. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could not have, I was, I was like, finally, when I got deployed, you know, that was kind of my mentality. Yeah. I saw on one of your videos where you, um, one of your responsibilities was to walk ahead of the Jeep, the carrier, um, transport vehicle and search mm -hmm. for mines in the road, which was, uh, kind of crazy. I mean, there, there must have been, you know, insane amount of training for this on how to do this, how to do it safely. But, um, how did that feel to you being, you know, being in that position saying, you know, I'm responsible for guys behind me, but I'm also responsible to, for Not the self-preservation of, you know, my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
You know, I, it was so. It was, yeah, it was one of my jobs. We were searching for IEDs, the improvised explosive devices that they would plant. So every time we get to a danger zone, like let's say a bridge or a place with a lot of sand, somewhere where a bond could be kind of hidden nearby, two Marines would get out. One would search the left side, and one would search the right. I was one of those two to look to make sure there's no bombs before we cleared the vehicle convoys. So <laughs> I didn't. To, to be honest with you, I didn't mind it because. Uh, I, I went out there with the mentality that I'd rather it be me than, than get hit than somebody else, you know? And yeah. I, I get that's a naive perspective to war because you can't control that. War is unpredictable. I mean, a bullet goes where it goes or a bomb goes. I mean, again, you do the best you can to prevent it, but war is without a doubt unpredictable. You don't control the outcome. Uh, but nonetheless, that was my uh, that was my job. And I mean, I, <laughs> you know, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I didn't have a problem with that uh, at all. It was just part of, the, part of the war, part of the nature of the experience, part of, you know, War is obviously an, an experience of adversity. It's not comfortable, <laughs> uh, obviously. Uh, so it was it was fine with me. Uh, I was happy to do it rather than somebody else. So so you've been so you were there for um, let's just say like first of all, how long were you there for? Seven months. Seven, seven months. months. That's okay. one marine. Uh, one uh, one tour is seven months. So when you got to like like the first month, you were probably so busy and so overwhelmed with just what was going on around you. Did you ever have thoughts of the old life, the addiction, you know, what you went through um, before you became a Marine? Or did that just kind of like bleed away and, and there was nothing left to hold? When you? I was in deployment, that was gone. I mean, not that didn't matter at all. I mean, I struggled my first month and a half, two months into the deployment yeah. for multiple reasons that it wasn't, um, it wasn't the experience of war I was seeking, if that which <laughs> sounds like I'm some kind of war junkie going out and looking for the wild, wild west. And, and, you know, admittedly, I was a little, um, admittedly to some degree, I probably was at the time seeking a little bit more of, uh, but wars, you, you can't, like the nature of counterinsurgency warfare is you're not getting into firefights regularly. You're out in the middle of a street and uh, which, which has its own very intense experiences as a result of counterinsurgency because you're walking around the city. There's people out there, people who are normal civilians, just trying to live their life. But you don't know who is the enemy. You don't know if that's the person who wants to kill you. So you're kind of always a little bit on, you know, staying alert on as a result of that. And you know, we'd have we'd have days where pop shots would go off, rounds would go off, uh, rocket was launched in, uh, across our base and stuff like that. But we did, but we weren't getting into firefights on a consistent basis or anything like that. And in some ways, I, I was almost seeking this. Um, this very, yeah, seeking what would, what could arguably be like an experience that would, you know, put me close to death, if you will. And, and it wasn't that. So I was struggling with, 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 for multiple reasons, with the experience of war that was handed to me, even, even just dealing with like putting up with certain missions that let's anyone to do, but you have to do it because you're told what to do. An officer says you would, you, you're, you know, you go do it, you go do it. Uh, so I struggled for the first two months, but after that, I realized that something, I mean, the beautiful lesson I really got out there was that even when you're in war, even when it's the environment you cannot control, you always have the freedom to control your attitude. You know, you could be in the hell on earth, but you always have the freedom to choose your own perspective, to choose your own attitude. And so I learned to shift my experience and even reading my Iraq journals, there's a very tangible difference in the mindset of the person who wrote that journal a month and a half into the war and a person writing in that journal three months into the war. And you can see it. Like even when I, it wasn't too long ago that when I was opening up my journals just to read my experience, 
and re- read what I was, the mindset I was in. And it was visceral to see how different it was. Uh, after that, I accepted this. I was like, look, I'm going to be here for five, I'm going to be here five, six more months. I can't change that. I can complain. I can whine. I can, you know, moan about it. But that's that's on me. Like that, the war is what it's war. I'm going to be here five, six more months, or I can choose to embrace whatever the experience hands hands me and enjoy it. Find beauty in the hell of that experience. Find beauty in the adversity. And I did. And uh, and by the end of my deployment, I actually wrote in my journal that I'm going to miss this when I go back home. So you know, you can. Uh, it taught me a lot about finding beauty, in, no matter where, what what the external world throws at you. So what inspired you to start journaling? Where did that come from? A friend of mine who had been to uh, Iraq before uh, had told me that he used to journal. And in fact, I regret I did not journal as much as I, uh, in hindsight, I wish I had journaled a lot more yeah. uh, uh, and, and really logged my thoughts. And now it's taught me, like even when I do ex- intense experiences like I do today, it's so valuable to journal and to to understand because when you read that mind, you might think you'll remember, but you will not remember the mindset of that you were in at the time. I mean, even now reading my Iraq journals, like I remember one day, I remember, I remember writing that, I just hope my vehicle gets hit with an IED. And I was like, reading, even reading my own journal, I was like, whoa, that's a crazy thing to say. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't believe that I wrote, like I, I was reading that about myself. So, and I mean, there was context to it. It, it, it you know, there's stuff before and after that, but just the fact that I wrote that was pretty, it was like intense. Uh, so I don't, again, I, my friend who had been to Iraq suggested it. And so it was a good, again, I'm great. I'm glad I did it, but I just wish I'd even done even more of it. Well, it sounds like you have not only a brave, but a very, um, a very giving heart. Um, as Jesus says in the Bible, there's no greater sacrifice than man can do but to lay down his life for his friends. And it, it sounds like you took that mantra like really, really seriously. Um, I, I want to talk more about um, your, uh, your service, but I, I also want to skip ahead a little bit to Fearvana because this is a good place with... The journaling that you were doing probably set you up for, you know, you're you're already writing your future, you know, in mm-hmm. a sense by by recording the present, you're sort of like you're sort of crafting what's what's coming up in your life. So I'm just going to take this moment to play your trailer for everybody out there. Um, it does have audio, so it'll be on the podcast, but it'll also be on the YouTube. So just check this out. This is Akshay at his best. Why do we do the things we do? What drives us? We all want to be happy, but what does that mean? I found the answer after serving in Iraq with the US Marines, overcoming PTSD, and winning a war against alcohol that pushed me to the brink of suicide. Through years of research in neuroscience, psychology, and spirituality, I discovered the secret of fear nirvana. Success and happiness are not waiting for you out there somewhere. They are waiting for you in the here and now, in the pursuit of a meaningful challenge worthy of who you are and who you want to be. The journey won't be easy. You will struggle. You will confront your demons, but that's not a bad thing. The greater your demons, the greater the divinity required to defeat them. The path to enlightenment is not to escape your fears, but embrace them. For if you don't seek out that worthy struggle, struggle will find you anyway, as it once found me. Rising into my fears, I slowly climbed out of that abyss. I found Firavana while mountaineering in the Himalayas, skiing across a polar ice cap, and even in the terrifying silence of pure stillness. So which path do you choose? I invite you to never stop chasing fear. 
or you'll spend your whole life running from it. If you're ready to take on that battle between the part of you that wants to quit and the part that wants to fight, you will enter the doorway to your next awakening. In that moment, you will experience the bliss of fear of Bana. Okay, so so that was uh, that was an amazing. I, I just love the quality of what you presented there, Akshay, and also your website is just killer with all the things you have built. So let's just take it for a moment from Iraq to, to coming back home stateside. Mm -hmm. And how did you start to develop, you know, the idea that you would have this incredible brand right now um, and doing all the public speaking you're doing, all the touring mm -hmm. you're doing, all of the, um, the giving that you're doing um, about Liberia. I want to get into all that. So, yeah. so where were you in your life when you came back and how, you know, where did it start to transform into who you are yeah. today? It wasn't until many years later that I got to the, uh, got to Fearvana to even understand, even to, to realizing this is my, this would be my path. Uh, I had no idea what I would do when I came back. Cause initially when I even joined the Marines, I wanted to go career Marines. I eventually okay. wanted to go special forces. When I first enlisted, I could not go special forces because I was not a U.S. citizen. And you have to be okay. a U.S. citizen to get secret clearance, which is what you need to go into special forces. So in, so my mindset was, you know, when I got back, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I came back to uh, finish my undergrad in Texas. And then I went and ended up going to grad school. And I struggled with life coming back home. I mean, even after coming back, I was like, I was trying to volunteer to go back to war. I was, you know, send me back to Iraq, send me back to Afghanistan, send me somewhere. Can I but stop you for one second? You sure. said that you were not, so you were in the Marines, not as a U.S. citizen? Is that, is that Yes, correct? I was a green card holder. I can't even believe that they would, like, you, you should, yeah, you they should roll out, the, roll out the red carpet for you, you know? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, I gotta, I gotta call thing. Trump and talk about this. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> okay, so go ahead with your story. I'm sorry to interrupt. I no, have to no, get no that worries, clear. No worries. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, it is. It is surprising when some people hear that. But yeah, I was just a green card holder when I enlisted. Wow. Um, Amazing. So I, yeah, I struggled when I came back, you know. And then I had a year left in my. I was in the Marine Reserve, so I had a year left in my contract. And I, so I couldn't, at one point I wanted to go be a mountain climbing bum and just basically live in the Himalayas. I wanted to go back to places that were intense and extreme that my life would be on the line. So I thought I'd go back into the mountains, but I couldn't leave because I had a year left in my contract. So I decided to go to journalism school because I wanted to become a war photographer. So one way or the other, I wanted to go back into conflict. I wanted to go back where to experiences where my life would be on the line and experience that there's a huge, um, adrenaline rush. There's an addictive nature to these experiences. So I went to journalism school, um, met my then wife, you know, met men. So I kind of, at that point, that kind of changed the trajectory. I said, all right, let me, you know, uh, settle down. I ended up getting, getting married. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and soon after that, I got a corporate job for a little bit for a year and a half to, to just to, <laughs> to look like I'm a semi-decent, you know, functional human being uh, to at least have the appearance of that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you uh, knew that my, was not meant for you. It was, it was <laughs> not meant for me one bit. Yeah. To at least have the appearance that I'm a functional human being uh, to, to my now ex-wife, but to my wife's family uh, at the time. And so, but you know, I was, again, I was struggling, but it didn't really hit me till I quit that corporate job because everything else I was doing, like in college, you know, I would drink, I would drink hard and party over the weekends, but I never saw it as a real issue. Cause I, I got good grades. I was, I mean, I got a full scholarship to one of the best journalism schools in the country, got a great corporate job was again, functioning. I was, you know, with but the external world provided structure. 
which it did in the Marines as well. Now, yeah. when that stopped, when I quit my job, I actually quit my job to go spend one month dragging a 190-pound sled for 350 miles across the world's second largest ice cap in temperatures as low as minus 40 degrees. So, And I signed up for that expedition the day I signed up for the job. So I knew exactly what day I would quit my job. <laughs> That's crazy <laughs> because you, you, you were born in India. And you yeah. end up in temperatures like that? That's just like... <laughs> no experience with cold, uh, uh, exactly. You know, wow. I am. Uh, my parents always joke that I was probably mixed up in the hospital, so I don't know what <laughs> happened to me, but here I am, you know? Uh, <laughs> so when so you were I, doing that, did that, prov- did that temporarily provide the structure? Because you're like mission-driven, you know? Like, you, yeah. you like, all right, now I got a mission, man. I'm, exactly. I'm ready to go, yeah. I love the way you put it. Exactly. So, I mean, in hindsight, I know that what I'm doing, what I was doing then, like skiing across an ice cap, it was a much more positive thing to do than drinking, obviously, but it was still me running away from myself. Right. Today, I still do things like that. I would still go do things like that, but I'm doing it from a very different level of consciousness and awareness. Back then, I was just running away from my demons. I wanted to go back to extreme environments, you know? So, yeah. uh, so that's what I was doing. I was seeking out the next extreme environment, one after the other. I mean, right after two weeks from coming back to my rack, I went mountaineering in the Himalayas, you know? So I was just seeking those kind of environments. And after coming back from that expedition, that's when I started building my business from the ground up. But that's when without the external structure, that's when sort of my demons started rising. And not long after that, I was, the drinking started to get worse and worse and worse. And uh, I was going to the VA, I started going to the VA therapist because uh, to be very frank and vulnerable, my wife, uh, at the time, my wife at the time and I were having, some, I was having some physical issues and it wasn't anything physical. It was psychological. And, uh, so she said, you know, why don't you go to the hospital and kind of checked out? And that's when I was diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, and I was at that point, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. Everything was hitting kind of a, a bad point. I was struggling with deeper and darker depression and the drinking was getting bad. I mean, I used to drink for five, six, seven days, sometimes in a row, just downing as much vodka, as, as much alcohol as I could drink until I would pass out. I've gotten to a point in my life that I would drink like almost a liter of vodka, a full bottle within a day, wake, like just wake up, drink, drink till I pass out and then wake up, drink some more and then go to the liquor store. And this would go for five to seven days until my body just couldn't take it anymore. And one morning after five, I think it was five, six days of this, I woke up and just thought to myself that this pattern of drinking and sobering up would never change. So I actually was thinking about, I was like literally minutes away from walking over to the kitchen, picking up a knife and ending my own life. And that was a shock to me. Like that moment hit me hard that I would actually even think about taking my own life. Yeah. And I knew then like something really had to, had to change. That was kind of the trigger that led me to everything I do now with Nirvana. Cause again, I had no clarity on what I really wanted to do. I had started exploring personal development because I had gotten into outdoor sports, even when I first enlisted the Marines. So I started looking at, you know, new ways to push myself, test myself. So I started getting, I started, was getting trained as a life coach, which was helping me obviously explore my own internal stuff, which is in a way what brought up the demons. Um, But, you know, I still didn't really know where my path was. And in the, in my own healing, I started researching neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, just book after book after book, exploring further and further and further. And that was what led me to fear of Vana and finally the clarity that I, and, and the purpose and the mission that I have now of who I am and who I want to be for the world. So how did you come up with, uh, it's a great, it's a great, um, title, uh, fear Vana. And, uh, how did you come up with that? It's just your own personal fear and then just how to address it. Was that kind of the building blocks of how you came up with this? 
So I had been kind of living this ethos. I mean, since joining the Marines, you know, after joining the Marines, I started looking for new ways to test myself. I went mountain climbing, cave diving, skydiving, ice climbing, ice diving. I mean, you name it, kind of nature became this playground to push my own limitations and explore the frontiers of the human experience. Um, so I've been living this ethos from the Marines to, the, to these outdoor experiences to now the research that I was learning that validated that this is really what life is to keep pushing the limits, to push ourselves further and further. And, and yet these are things that are demonized. You know, we, de- yeah. we say things like fear, stress, anxiety are negative, but everything worthwhile I have done in my life has been terrifying, stressful, and has caused severe anxiety, at least at one point or the other. Yeah. Obviously going to war, Marines, climbing, these are all intense things. Skiing across ice caps, even writing a book on fear was absolutely terrifying. So I had been kind of living this ethos, uh, but my, my, my wife at the time was the one who coined the name. She threw out the word fear of Anna, and I was like, that's a goal mine. And uh, yeah. when she did, I was like, this is brilliant. And we uh, ended up buying like seven different domain names and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bought all the fear of Anna domains. And, I was, and that became, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know, even at the time when I first coined it, I didn't know that this is where it would lead me to. I yeah. knew that, okay, that was the book. And, you know, slowly started to evolve. But now it's that I have this clarity that every, like my my entire lifetime is now mapped out. But uh, at the time it was just, okay, let's, you know, this was the book. And then it led to one thing after the other. Yeah, the the, uh, the book, it looks awesome. I am going to get a copy. Um, and I want to ask you as somebody who has built a really great brand, it, it's something, you know, I've studied and I know a little bit about the hard work that comes with, Building a brand, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of uh, introspection and dedication Mm -hmm. and frustration Mm -hmm. happens to you a lot. So who did you model? um, Who were some of the people that you modeled your brand after or that you studied or or maybe maybe that had helped and influenced you along the way to get this great website and this great brand out into the world? Yeah. Uh, one of my mentors is Jack Canfield, the uh, Chicken oh. Soup for the Soul author. Yeah, yeah. So he was the one I had. I had taken this uh, his uh, seminar called Breakthrough to Success. That had really helped me in my own healing from post traumatic stress disorder, from depression. I had got immense value out of it, and uh, so I had taken. Then I went. I was doing basically every training of his that I could find, and I think he's a truly beautiful human being, an amazing soul, and uh, grateful to have come across him. Yeah. And I, had, I think I remember I'd asked him once um, in, in my meetings with him that, you know, what would you do differently in your career if you could go back? And, I, I, and he said something along the lines, I would have written my book even sooner. Because he shared right. so many, Chicken Soup of the Soul is such a huge brand that's touched so many lives now, you know? Yeah. And, um, and, and he said that, like, this book is this thing that transcends you. He was sharing stories about how a woman who read Chicken Soup of the Soul decided not to kill herself after reading this book. And the power of that, you know, it's this, this physical thing that transcends you. Yeah. Now my book is in over 42 countries, and I don't even know where it is. And it's out there touching someone's life. And that, to me, is really profound. So he kind of inspired that. He inspired a lot of my own healing. And, uh, and obviously he knows what he's doing when it comes to building a successful brand. Yeah. So, um, he was definitely a model to follow. I want to continue to learn from him and follow, uh, follow a lot of his path. And I, I want to ask you about your, um, your projects where you are giving up your precious time, energy, and resources for the benefit of others, which is so near and dear to my heart. Um, uh, especially about clean water and Liberia. Tell us about that journey. Now, I saw on the on the website it said uh, uh, it was, you were running 167 miles, and then you're you're in the video. No, it's like 220 or 40 miles or whatever. So it's like you're moving it up, man. So what? the miles, uh, <laughs> the mileage. So uh, yeah, the mileage changed a lot due to. Uh, 
safety concerns and yeah. stuff like that in right. planning the planning the route. You're going to, I mean, Liberia as a nation has suffered a great deal. They've been through Ebola, brutal civil war, struggling with poverty. So I was actually going out there as a part of this documentary called Awakening Giants to film uh, to, to where there was sort of these 12, 10 to 12 giants from all over the world, mostly the U.S., but I think all over. Yeah, going out there to do humanitarian work. So we were distributing um, uh, water filters, school supplies, doing workshops out there. And, you know, it was a very powerful experience. And we were helping to build the first sustainable vocational training school out there. So since I was going to Liberia, I decided, as one does, uh, to, to run across the country and use that as an use my vehicle of service, which is running. Now, running, I mean, literally saved my life. Running has, right. I channeled one addiction into another. And, uh, and, and now I'm an ultra runner. I run, all, you know, long distance run, uh, running a lot. Just a couple of weeks ago, I ran 42 miles. And, um, and so I decided to run about, it was about a marathon a day, just under a marathon a day for a week across the country. Yeah, initially it was going to be 200 miles, but there were some safety issues with that area that we were going to start in. So it ended up becoming 160. I, was, I mean, I would have done whatever distance it called for, but it ended up becoming, a, uh, the total distance ended up becoming about 167 miles. So just under a marathon a day for a week. And I mean, it was a very profound, powerful and humbling experience, you know, here in a completely new country, alien country to me. And I kind of stand out in West Africa. I don't look like everybody there, you know, so <laughs> you get scared so. at <laughs> you get stared at a lot, but, uh, yeah. but just out of, I mean, it was never hostility. It was more curiosity. And, uh, but it was such a powerful experience. I mean, we helped raise like uh, thousands of dollars to build that school out there by sharing the story about this run. Um, I had so many powerful experiences, like little kids would come running along with me for part of the um, various sections throughout. That was such a beautiful moment of human connection. You know, me, this uh, Indian U.S. Marine running in West Africa in Liberia and these kids coming and just showing how we transcend that, that these, these perceived barriers of otherness, like race, religion, nationality, uh, skin color, whatever it may be. And there's like this, there was a oneness you felt that transcended all of that. As a tangible example of that, I got so close to my cameraman out there. We became very, very close. And he, and uh, he like, cause he would be filming the run and he would run with me for parts of it. So just the experience of this kind of intense experience going through it together, he would, we were chatting and he shared with me, his five-year-old son needed a severe heart surgery and he had, he, like, this, he could have died at any time. And so through, because we became very close to my foundation, my, I have a nonprofit called the Fear of Honor Foundation. We sponsored him and his wife and his son. They came and stayed with me and my family in India for one month. And they had the heart surgery out there. Uh, and his, his five-year-old son is now back in Liberia playing soccer and fully healed and living a fantastic, beautiful life. And it wow. was so, it was so profound. To, to, and I just feel grateful to have been a part of that experience. That's amazing. Hey, tell me, uh, how does one train for a marathon a day, Akshay. How do you do that? I mean, it's like people train for months to do like, you know, the New York City marathon, the Boston yeah. marathon. And, and so you did one a day for like a week or more. Yeah. <laughs> so how does one, how does your body even survive that? I mean, how do you train? How do you, obviously you're in fa fabulous shape, but um, how do you prepare for something like that? You know, I'm not the fastest runner. I have multiple uh, biological defects. As I mentioned, I have this blood disorder that basically transports less oxygen through my body. A problem for anybody, let alone a runner. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I have scoliosis. I have flat feet. I have another disorder where my body can't absorb nutrition, nutrients too well. So these are four things that are not ideal for anybody, let alone, again, an ultra runner. Wow. But, <laughs> but you learn to transcend them because mostly it's a mental battle. Yeah. Again, I'm not the fastest runner in the world and not even close to it. I by no means, 
but I have a good ability to be able to do whatever it takes and keep going to, to suffer really to, to get to the end result. And, yeah. uh, so obviously you build up your mileage like anything. I'm really blessed that I got my dream sponsor. Hammer nutrition has sponsored me. Uh-huh. They transformed my running. And again, I'm not saying this because I'm a sponsored athlete. Like they, they were my dream sponsor. Like, uh, they're hands down the best nutrition and supplement company for endurance athletes. They focus on endurance athletes, like running, cycling, triathletes. So they, they partnered up with me for this and that, that their stuff helped putting the right stuff in my body, doing the recovery work, all that really helped. But I mean, by the end of it, I was hurting for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I was at, at the end of, I have a video from the end of my, my trip in Liberia and I was, I could barely, I couldn't bring a smile to my face. I was just like, thank God it's done. Yeah. But, uh, but it was awesome. I mean, that's, I think I firmly believe actually the best way to cross the finish line is not with smile, not with a smile, not with joy, but just pure relief that the suffering is over. Yeah. And I think that's when you know, you've worked hard enough and it was, and I'm pretty sure I worked hard enough to get to the other end. I can yeah, say that. I will say, with, I will uh, say with the ego and humility. <laughs> what is your, um, what is your favorite thing of all the things that you're doing now with, uh, Fearvana, with your brands, with your public speaking, um, I think you're doing some, you co- some coaching maybe too, but you, you got a lot going on. A lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's your, what's your favorite of, of all of these things, which really just, you're so, I mean, you're passionate obviously about everything, but is there, is there one in particular that stands out in your mind every day that you love to do more so than anything else? I do love public speaking. I love being on interviews like this. I love just talking about the the work, the work that I do, the impact it makes. I love when I see, when I viscerally see the impact. When I get, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. To read like the reviews on Amazon, to get the messages from readers, knowing how it's changed their life. So that that, that always touches my soul. But it's even more powerful when you viscerally see it in front of you. You know, which is why when I speak public speaking, or like when I was in Liberia. I was doing workshops with people out there, teaching them how to find beauty in their suffering. And over there, the suffering was a different level. I mean, I had people in my, in my classroom who were former child soldiers, you know, wow, uh, people who had been through extreme poverty, uh, people who had lost family in war, you know, like who had suffered at a different level, really, than most of us can fathom. And uh, teaching them to find meaning in that suffering and realizing you're not a victim because you've suffered, but you can actually be a warrior because you suffered. And uh, was profound to see that. I worked with these five young kids who were drug addicts in the ghetto out there who had seen so much violence and just awful things in their life as kids, really. And seeing their eyes, seeing the impact it made um, was very powerful. So just knowing that it's out there, like, I mean, because even the book, all the profits from the book go to charity. So they're being donated to charity through my foundation. And Amazing. Um, so even like I've, I've another, well, another cause we support is these young girls who are victims of sex trafficking in India. And, uh, when I've, and I've spent some time with these girls, I mean, what they've been through as teenage girls is horrific. I mean, it's, it's just absolute, they've experienced humanity at its most evil, you know, and, uh, it's horrific what they've been through. So just being there with them and seeing how, how these young kids can rise above that pain and rise above their suffering. And like, you know, like everybody go through this stuff from day to day, we all do, but, uh, to know that it's out there when I get to see it viscerally, that leaves, that's, that. It, yeah, it's very profound for me to be able to experience that. You know, it's amazing that you're able to do all of these things and be just such a light for so many people, especially like when you mentioned these young girls. And when, when that happens to them, their, their childhood is, is stolen mm-hmm. from them, which is, which is so sad. So I want to just thank you for that. Um, let me just ask you as we're wrapping up, um, best way that people can help you and your organization and support you and your causes 
Um, where should we go to um, purchase your book, support you, and find out everything about Fearvana and everything mm-hmm. about Akshay? Yeah, I appreciate you asking. I'm at fearvana.com. It's F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A, fearvana.com. You can find me there where I go deeper into uh, a lot of the ethos, a lot of the tools, the, the strategies and tactics on how to kind of master your own fears, master your struggles, and do something meaningful with them and turn them into a blissful life. The book is available on Amazon and Kindle, paperback, and Audible. All the profits, as I mentioned, go to charity through the Fearvana Foundation. So I also have my foundation website, fearvanafoundation.org which we're working on updating a lot more of the projects that we supported since then. Uh, so yeah, any one of these places and just, uh, I think just spreading the word about the book, I feel very confident that the book does make a difference in people's lives. Uh, 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 at this point, I can confidently say that and I'm seeing the f- review and feedback. So just spreading the word for anybody uh, struggling with really anything, which we all do in life. So I, you know, I believe this, this, this work can help uh, transform that some of that struggle into, 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 joy into a bliss and so just spreading the word and picking up a copy of the book will help not only the book spread but also help me raise funds for charity excellent akshay it was an honor a privilege and a pleasure to meet you my friend uh so many great things yeah i I really appreciate you being uh on the dharmic evolution and i just want to just uh you know ask god's blessing on all that you have done and will continue to do in your fabulous career thank you so much i really appreciate you saying that I hope you guys enjoyed this visit with Akshay today, discussing PTSD, Iraq, being a Marine, Fearvana, Jack Canfield, Black Hawk Down, not to forget the fallen hero, Corporal Jacob Neal. We talked about a marathon a day running across Liberia. And don't forget to go to fearvana.com Amazon, Audible, you can pick up the book on any of the major retail sites and support all that Akshay is doing. Akshay Nanavati, making huge contributions to this society and this world. Please support him in all that he is doing for you on this planet. If you like what you hear on this interview, please share it with somebody. Go over to dharmicevolution.com And you can pick up whatever your favorite platform is and download this show, whether it's Spotify or Pandora or iTunes or Apple Podcasts or any and all of the above. Stitcher Radio, we're on all the platforms. Also, if you have not gone over to the Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page, please do so. Post your content on there. Do you have a new song, a new album, a new book, a new speaking engagement? Let us know what you're doing with your career and let the world, you know, chip in and support you in what you're doing. Let us know. Some of you may have read on my blog about my prison tour that I'm kicking off next week in Virginia. I'll be performing at a couple of prisons in Virginia, and um, I'll be doing parables, stories, and a song for each story um, to help the ones who are incarcerated and who need the help of the Lord. So I'm going to do my best to shine some light on people who are in a dark environment. Please uh, say a prayer for me to my, for my endeavors in this, and uh, I really would appreciate it. 
That's a wrap for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor, singer, songwriter, audio, video, artist, master storyteller, and international talent agent. So until the next time when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or I'll see you from a stage.